Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trab. This is Amber. And this is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of living happily ever after until the evil witch comes and takes away all your stuff. <laughs> this week, Amber is going to lead us on a merry romp down the fabled and dusty and possibly dark and spooky paths of the fairy tale adventure. Ah, joke's on you. There is no happily ever after. That's just when we stop writing. Ah, well, that's always good. The only happily ever afters we get are the ones that Disney gives us. Exactly. So... Where I'd like to start is what exactly is a fairy tale? Anyone? Well, I'm going to say from what I know of the the original fairy tales back in the way back, uh, fairies were actually not good things. They were kind of mischievous, evilish spirits. Uh, They were something you didn't want to meet. You never wanted to actually meet a fairy. Uh, so fairy tales were kind of like they're kind of like horror stories in a way, and they usually ended badly for humans. A lot of fairy tales were sort of like parables, only a bit more elaborate backgrounds and more fantastical elements. They always had a, some moral behind them as well. On top of that, uh, Aesop tales are a great are a great example of, of a version of a fairy tale. Well, I, I don't. Well, okay. I mean, I, I never really saw that as a fairy tale because there was no f- like fairy like elements. Talking animals. Well, okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair fairy enough. tales, as far as I understand, are old folklore stories that were created with a fantastical nature, and they're utilized to teach valuable lessons. The Aesop is a good example of that, in that. With some situations in the stories, there aren't always fairies involved, but fairies do seem to be a common theme, hence them being called fairy tales. Uh, An example of this, uh, I'm not sure if it's Aesop or not, but would be the boy who cried wolf. There aren't any fairies involved, it was just a child lying over and over and over again. Until the wolf at him. (sighs) Spoilers. (laughs) what exactly we're utilizing with fairy tales as far as the gaming concept goes is not necessarily to take the stories exactly because oh my god there are going to be spoilers you know what happens and the goal is the happily ever after but you need to take a sidestep to it and think of alternatives because There are many, many, many versions of different fairy tales. 
like with the Little Mermaid, for example, if you look at that folklore, in the original Grimm version, she did not get her happily ever after. She died. But in the Disney version, she got to be with her prince, and she had a daughter, and all of these fantastical things. So the beauty of fairy tales is that they can be adjusted to suit your needs, as long as the concept and the moral of the story is still retained. With The Little Mermaid, the the original, uh, I, I think that was sort of more of a tale of, you know, don't want for the things that you should not want for. Don't step so far out of, of reality to chase after, you know, crazy dreams. And it's funny because in American society, uh, that's exactly what they teach you to do. You know, chase your dreams. You can be president. You can be an astronaut. But they don't tell you about the people who... Who fail. When they talk about that, they, they don't talk about the people who go to Hollywood to be actresses and wind up, you know, broke and, and uh, uh, taken advantage of and stuff. You know, it's like, no, chase your dreams. It's like a fairy tale in a lot of ways. Uh, for example, The Little Mermaid could be, could be read that way that, you know, if you, you want to consider doing that, just remember it's very da- – you're, you're going down a very dangerous path and this could very well happen to you. You know, you're, you're chasing after something – that is really kind of dangerous. You know, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing to have, but there's a price to be chasing that awesome thing. And I'm not one for discouraging people from doing stuff like that. I'm not trying, that's not the message I'm trying to give. I'm just trying to say that, you know, it, it's, it, it's a, like you said, like a fable, like a, like a warning. For every one person that makes it, there's going to be another 10 or 20 that don't. Yeah. Right. And, and don't, and basically it's, it's not that you shouldn't try but be wary so that if you should fail, you won't fail miserably. You, you know, you have some kind of backup plan or something. Just just go knowing that, oh, you know, this, this may not work out. And if it doesn't, it can work out very badly for me. So I need to go and make sure that I have a, a backup system of some kind. Exactly. And that's, a, that's the sort of thing that makes The Little Mermaid a bit unique in that the way that it's twisted, it could have two completely different messages. With the original, the message is to not stray away, that you will not succeed, that if you try too hard for something that is against your nature, you'll end up killing yourself. But the Disneyfied version is go for your dreams. You can do anything. So with these in mind, and the... The variability. Is that even a word? Variability? Yep, that's a word. Ha! Yep. I win! With the variability of the different kind of stories and the messages they can portray, you have an endless supply of stories that you can work with when making a campaign. You can basically take any story and twist it and you don't even necessarily have to follow the story from beginning to end you can think of what happened after it or what happened before it or what led up to it or change a detail what if this happened instead so if we're going to sit down and look at a campaign with a fairy tale twist how can we bring that about in either the b13 or or the fringe-worthy worlds. 
Well, first, I think you need to talk a little bit more about what makes up a fairy tale story. I mean, we have a protagonist, somebody who's going to be the focus of the attention of the story. And we have a great force that they're going up against or is going to be acting upon them because otherwise it wouldn't be a fairy tale story. So if you're going to talk about what happens before or after, you're going to have to define either the protagonist or the antagonist with a little bit greater detail than you normally get in a fairy tale story. The player characters may find it very difficult to change the events unless they, unless they decide to play with you know the fairy tales tropes. We don't want her to go to the co that cottage. How are we going to keep her from going to cottage? She's going to go to it if we, if we let her go. So you got to work out some trope to keep her from doing that. Maybe you assign her a task or give her a reason why she shouldn't. You know, get, well, at least find some way to keep her from going to the cottage while you go there ahead of time and make sure whatever's in there isn't there, like the, old bad, the big bad wolf or whatever. The player characters are now the protagonists. You could be finding yourself on the rails of a story you may not be able to do anything about. Unless you're very genre savvy, so to speak, and try to play with the tropes. Maybe somebody other than John, explain what genre savvy means. I would say just knowing the conventions of, of a particular genre. In fairy tales, you know that there's a parable, you know that there's going to be magic involved in some way. Like Snow White, you had the, you know, the, the queen and the, the mythical creatures known as the dwarves and the sleeping beauty, you had... The spinning wheel. That's it. I mean, there are just certain things in the genre that you know are going to happen, and it's just variations on a theme. I think that's what they mean by being genre savvy, knowing those conventions. Being genre savvy means that you can act knowing that these things are going to be part of the story, even if they haven't revealed themselves yet. Exactly. So you can build your strategy with this as axiomatic, that this is going to happen at some point. It's like in the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean, where the pirate captain comes out and says, you better start believing in ghost stories, Missy, because you're in one. Well, I don't think that that necessarily will always be the case, especially if you take a story and you deviate so far from it that it no longer is part of the original. Uh, an example of this would be, say, Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, you could play it as you're hired to protect the little girl, or perhaps the wolf already did eat the grandmother, and it drove her insane, and she became an assassin, and her calling card is wolf skins, kind of like the Joker and Joker cards from Batman or something. And the Little Red Riding Hood, grown up, most feared assassin in the world, she is the big bad of the story. If there's anything that you could take from a fairy tale and twist it into a playable campaign. So you don't always have the benefit of knowing what's going to happen by virtue of a story. I would say a good example of this would be the recent Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters movie with uh, Jeremy Renner from the Avengers, you know, Hawkeye. That yeah. came out recently, and that would be, I guess, would be a perfect movie example of what Amber's trying to talk about here. Now, w one of the things that, that has always bothered me, and I, I, maybe this is because I'm, I'm a little bit of an animal lover, 
and I'm a I'm real big dog lover, friend, you know, friend, friends of uh, of dogs and stuff. And it, it always bothers me about the whole wolf thing because you know wolves are these really awesome things. If you like dogs, you essentially like wolves because dogs evolve from wolves. Every dog can be traced back to wolves. Even though wolves are, you know, they're wild and they're basically undomesticatable for the most part. I mean, it, they're tricky. You you can domesticate them, sorta, kinda, but not not reliably. Um, but they do have like, you know, a, they are a social group. They, you know, they care about one another. They're actually really really cool animals. And it's this medieval fear of wolves that got written into all these stories, and it's why there are basically almost no European wolves left. They've been wiped out because of superstition and fear and stuff. It always drives me nuts with that whole thing. Um, but I think the big bad wolf is just a placeholder for bad guy, you know. Uh, but if you were going to do something with a big bad wolf type of theme where it's, you know, it's, it's the bad guy, uh, I think it would be kind of cliche to use anything wolf-ish it would be more fun to switch that up and um, actually maybe pick some kind of critter that's actually nasty, you know, like uh, uh, like one of those evil spiders or something. Not that spiders are really evil. I just have a big fear of them. Now, mind you, in reality, spiders are not bad guys. They're not bad creatures. They really aren't. I just have a terrible fear of them, so I have no problem with you know, vilifying them. Not to mention there are about a billion spiders on the planet. You can kill as many of them as you want. And they'll still be around. What if it's a killer squirrel? Squirrel? Oh, that would be awesome. See, it could be squirrel, squirrel girl. No, no, wait a second. Wrong. There you go. If you want to do a big switch up, probably the best one that they've done in recent years has been the hoodwinked film. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that. Okay, where the big bag wolf was actually a investigative reporter. And Grandma was like a, uh, a an adrenaline sports star. <laughs> and it was the squirrel, I believe. You know, the, no, the funny, the, the floppy-eared bunny was the was the evil mastermind, right? I, I'm not sure that that's really a great route to go because, I mean, the whole point of having an adventure that is fairy tale like is that it will follow the fairy tale tropes. I mean, you get to experience the opportunity of actually being in a fairy tale rather than saying, well, yeah, we're just taking the fairy tale concepts and we're, we're basically wrapping those as trappings around a regular adventure. Let's take this to uh, Bureau 13 for a second. We're talking about Big Bad Wolf. This automatically, right out the gate, indicates you know you can, you're a werewolf you can use your big bad wolf could be a werewolf and that's like an easy go-to but if you're gonna do that he needs to be like a really like a, a werewolf boss you know like like a guy who, who's not just this crazy killing machine that uh it would have to be like a smart you know like a mob like maybe a mob boss someone you don't even know uh is a werewolf well he could but at the same time, you've got in the story of Little Red Riding Hood, he comes up and starts talking to Red. Right. And starts asking her what's in the basket. I mean, does this sound like a big mob boss with like 20 or 30 guys under him to do his work for him? This sounds to me more like of a, a lone agent, somebody who's kind of out there on his own, thinking maybe he's smarter than everybody around him but not necessarily having a lot of support other than his own very powerful nature. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Have you seen Sin City, the movie Sin City? Yes. 
Okay, do you remember the bad cop in that one? Uh-huh. Imagine him as, as a werewolf. He's a bad cop, and he's got his little gang, his little gang of other cops. He had a very bad wolf vibe to him because he was very slick, very cruel. Uh, he had connections. I, I could see taking – if you took Sin City, you took that situation, especially if you're playing Bureau 13 because, you know, it's, it's modern day. you got cops. you got bad cops. And the bureau agents, even though they're kind of above the law, they still can't be messing around with cops. I mean, you can't you can't have bureau agents killing cops just indiscriminately. So that would make for a very good story element because, you know, the bureau agents would be like, oh my god, you know, it turns out we got a whole little gang of these corrupt cops, and we can't just you know we can't just smoke these guys. They're cops. Maybe they couldn't get away with it because they're bureau agents, but still, I mean, that's going to be very dicey. That's going to be very touch and go. So I think that would make for a really cool adventure. Okay, but how's that fairy taleish? Well, it's fairy taleish because he is a big bad wolf. You know, he's a werewolf, and so are all his cronies. So you know, the bureau agents, you know, maybe they find out he's a werewolf. You know, the police force obviously isn't aware of this. They want to take him out, but maybe he's very high, connect, highly connected in the police force. Maybe he's, you know, he's risen up through the ranks, and he, maybe he's like the captain's son or something. You know, not somebody you. You can just take out without some kind of repercussions. Yeah, he's into you know, hustling the pimps and the prostitutes. Yeah. He's also into uh, hustling uh, building constructor. Things that big bad, wolves, big bad wolves would get into. Right. And maybe his uncle's like a senator. L- little girls in buildings. <laughs> right. Little girls in but There you go. Little girls in buildings. Right. I'll blow your house down. There you go. So you could turn that into a whole fairy tale thing. You might wait for that moment about halfway through the game when they realize, wait a second, this is Little Red Wedding Hood meets three pigs. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, you could you could have you could have three victims that the bureau is investigating, and every one of them, uh, the, you know, it's three brothers, and their last name is like Ham or something. So you, you could you could turn it into a whole fairy tale thing. Give him a German name or something like that, or some or some name that isn't immediately obvious as being, you know, piggish. Wiener Schnitzel. schnitzel. <laughs> I love that. Well, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be that. So I suppose the question begs: When you are making a fairy tale like campaign, whether you're basing it directly off of a fairy tale, or if you're making it original with just fairy tale aspects. What sort of things can you expect to happen or can you expect to see as far as assistance, challenges, creatures, obstacles, and that sort of thing? Well, you can incorporate the rules of the fairy world into how the players have to get through a scene. Such as the only way to enter a fairy mound is to circle it three times counterclockwise and then the door is revealed that the only thing that harms a fairy is iron so your lead bullets and the steel in your knives passes through them harmlessly or bounces off or heals instantaneously to my understanding fairies are only susceptible to cold iron like not not modified. If it's modified, it's been tainted. If it's been tainted, it's not effective. Cold iron, raw iron. Your cast iron pot would work very effectively. The difference between taking iron 
melting it down and letting it cool, okay, into a, a basic state and tempering it, which is what steel does, okay, when we, we want steel. And we mix it with other materials to make it steel. There's actually, it was a really excellent article on, on the what makes cold iron cold iron in TerraWatch back in the Bureau 13 days. I don't think it ever got into the D20 version of Bureau 13. Here we go. Hold on a minute. I went to the font of all knowledge. Uh, see, you didn't go back to TerraWatch, though. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> cold iron is a poetic and archaic term for iron, referring to the fact that it feels cold to the touch. In modern usage, the term has been most associated with folkloric beliefs that iron, like silver, could ward off ghosts, witches, and fairies. So maybe what they're talking about is pure iron. So it's not – it doesn't have carbon in it. So it's not steel. It's just it's just straight-up iron. Yeah. It's therefore going to be brittle. Yeah. And so there are certain things that you can make out of it and certain things that you can't. Like you can make a nice big mace head because that's a big block of iron. Sure. But you can't turn it into a knife because it would snap the first time you tried to use it. Right. Make a set of uh, uh, knuckle dusters with it to go with your silver one. Yeah, sure. So what other common creatures do we find in fairy tales? You know, I'm thinking... Witches. Witches. There you go. Perfect. Witches. Fairy godmothers of sorts. Well, I personally think that fairy godmothers and witches are two different things. Similar in nature, but opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, the fairy godmother always seems to be benevolent, whereas the witch always seems to be malevolent. And if you'll notice throughout most fairy tales, such as Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, uh, etc., etc., it's that the queen usually succumbs to their greed or their lust for power and become witches which begs the question how exactly does one become a witch and what exactly is a witch are they just people with magic or are they subhuman like a werewolf human but not what makes a witch a witch well they could be evil woodland spirits or only evil from the standpoint of humanity, because if you're a creature who is not who is inhuman and you're seeking your own goals, they can appear to be contrary to human goals and therefore evil. So, for example, there are some godlike creatures that are also called witches, like Baba Yaga. Mm. Right. What's interesting to me is that in these fairy tales. These fairy tales are not very um, – they're not very nice to women because witches are always – almost – I can't think of a fairy tale where it's, where it's not a female. Well, witches were based, I think, off of old hags, and old hags were the first witches. It almost seems like it's never some guy who's become corrupted. You know, it's, it's the big bad wolf who is like a supernatural creature as an animal. Rumpelstiltskin. Okay, Rumpelstiltskin. Who was a fairy. But he's a fairy. He's not even a human. Or a dwarf or whatever he was. These witches are generally they're generally considered to be human, I think. Seems to me like most of these fairy tales are written by men, would be my guess. We have no idea. Well, the brothers Grimm, I We mean. don't. We don't. It, it just seems that way. So, you know, one way to switch it up might be to have a warlock instead of a witch. Just to keep all things fair and keep your, player, keep your players on their toes. 
Well, yeah, switch it up, and they they that would be one of those things where you change one part of the convention, just you know, make the main villain male instead of female, and you know, you still have the main story. But what's the purpose of the witch in the story, Peter? It doesn't matter whether it's male or female. They she have they have a role. They have a, a reason for being there. You know, I want to say corruptor, the sinful thing, the you know, the taker of. Usually, they they're feeding off a of life. So, for example, in Hansel and Gretel, you know, she's a cannibal. It's Snow White. You know, I'm not really familiar with the original story. Her mother wanted a child and had a child. Her mother died. Her father remarried. The stepmother had in her possession already a magical hand mirror, which, uh, according to some, had a mere fairy or a mere spirit already trapped in it. Okay. She would ask it who was beautiful, and it would keep telling her that she was. But one day it told her that the little girl was. So she hired a huntsman to kill the princess so she wouldn't be involved in any way. The huntsman couldn't do it. He told her to run away into the forest. He returned the heart of a boar to the queen as proof that he had killed her. And the queen was happy until she went back to her mirror and the mirror said that her stepdaughter was still more beautiful than her, which, spoiler, she's alive. Right. And by this time, she was in the forest and was found by the seven dwarves who took care of her and... Eventually, she was rescued by a prince, but the prince couldn't take her home just yet. Then the queen came, and in some versions, she gave her a poisoned comb. In some versions, she gave her a poisoned apple. Various versions. Essentially, she poisons her, Mm -hmm. and she falls dead. Death-like sleep. No, no. In some stories, she died. Which makes it really creepy when you think about it. In the original Brothers Grimm story, she died. And the prince came and saw her. And even though she was dead, she was still too beautiful to walk away from. So he demanded that her corpse be brought back to his castle. And they dropped the coffin and the piece of apple popped out of her throat and she came back to life. Whoa. Zombirilla. <laughs> so wait a minute. Zombirella, Zombirella, night and day it's Zombirella. <laughs> it's not Cinderella. This is Snow White. <laughs> Actually, I think that was the Bridezilla. <laughs> Snow White and the Huntsman, which I saw, uh, minus the girl who played Snow White, who's probably one of the worst actors ever. That movie I liked. I, I thought it was actually very, very good. I thought there was a good angle on that story. I mean, I know it's not the original. I know they, they strayed very far from the original. That was a pretty cool version of it. And in that case, the witch was the, the queen, of course. She was chasing immortality is what she was doing. So by eating beauty, she be, she retained beauty. So that's, that's kind of a neat trope to do for an adventure. And that's actually a, a twist that's not so commonly taken on Beauty and the Beast, that Beauty and the Beast becomes Beauty and the Beasts, plural. That in order for beauty to stay beautiful, she devours the beauty of men, and they turn into beasts. Whoa! Something that she did after she was driven insane, after her husband, the original beast, died. What? I have no idea where she's getting this. Uncommon, very uncommon versions. Okay. 
So what we have here is we have a being of power who may or may not want something from a human, but for a human to gain something that they want, they know they have to go to this person to get it. And so they will usually make some kind of a bargain with a witch to get something that they want. In return, the witch a lot of times will say, well, yeah, but you have to give me why, which is usually something like, you know, your firstborn child or something else further down the line. Or your voice. Or, yeah, which they may not want to give at the time or even later. And at which point, when they break the deal, then the witch gets to go all vengeance on the person and do whatever they want to. A lot of times, there's a strong element, as you were talking about, Peter, of corruption, but it, it may not, I don't think corruption is the right word. I prefer the word desire. They want something, and so they're going to be offered a choice to get it. And are they going to be willing to make that choice? And if they do, will they regret that choice later? Because it's easy enough to say, sure, I'll give up my firstborn child when you live in a society where half the kids die in the first couple of years of life. And, but then when you get that baby and it's healthy and you're looking at it and it's gorgeous and you're making all these plans in your mind and there's a knock, knock, knock at the door and there's the crone or there's the wizard old man saying, give me, give me, give me. Now you've got to decide how much are you willing to give up or inflict upon yourself and all of the people around you in order to break this deal. That's very much of, of the fairy tales. Now, it's not always that way. As you said, Snow White and the Huntsman, where she was trying to get the life force from her own niece. In that case, she was a witch, but she kind of had her own agenda, and Snow White was just kind of bothering her by existing. There wasn't any real deal involved. But there are certainly that in a lot of stories that involve witches or warlocks or gnomes or other types of creatures that people go to them because they think that they're going to get something that they really want. And a lot of times they find out the deal is a bad deal. Wouldn't Rapunzel be an example of this? I'm not exactly sure. Taken away from her family when she was a child, never allowed to cut her hair. I, I read the original story, the Brothers Grimm story of that, and I don't remember why she was locked up in the high tower. But the point was, she was supposed to stay there forever. The witch considered her to be her possession, and therefore no one was ever going to have her. So when the prince shows up to try to rescue her, he's basically trying to steal something away from the witch. And that's one of the reasons why bad things happen to him. Right. In the original story, doesn't he, like, fall into the thorns and goes blind? Yes. Yeah. It's actually pretty tragic. It's very tragic. But in at least one of the versions I read, when she finally finds him, she her tears falling upon his eyes cures his blindness. Right. That's, that's the feel-good Hollywood ending. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of these stories, I think, have a very cautionary aspect to them. Where, as you talk, Peter, just don't strive too far. You know, stay with your own kind. Don't go in the woods. Stay close to your fire. Don't take candy from strangers. 
don't talk to strangers. Yeah, which is why a lot of people think that they're stories for children because – and certainly the Brothers Grimm wrote that these were stories for children because they were – in some ways they were designed to make kids not venture off into the woods where bears really would eat them or they would get lost and die of disease and injury to keep them close to the houses. And it could also be used by a very smart ruler – as a means of keeping his serfs, you know, on the plantation, so to speak. Mixing some metaphors there. Or you can't change your station in life. If you look at Little Mermaid, it's actually a, a, a story of her changing her station in life, and, that, and she fails and dies. In the original story of Cinderella, I don't think she's you know, royalty at all. In most versions, she was a noble, but she was put down as a servant by her stepmother. Cinderella was a cutesy name. The actual name of the story was Ash, or the character was a uh, Ash Puddle. Yeah, I found yeah. out. Yeah, Cinderella's oh. the Disney thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, there's there's actually a Cinderella story, and it's it's by the Brothers Grimm. The original shoe was made out of moleskin. It wasn't made out of glass. Now, Cinderella would be an interesting one to, to do the twist on. Turns out the ugly stepsisters are, well, just as pretty as she is. And it turns out, well, what happened was her mother dies. Father basically goes broke with being a merchant. He marries into another wealthy family, goes broke again. And the stepmother is forced to, well, do without servants. Her daughters, and I'm saying all her daughters, step, you know, including her stepdaughter, have to do chores around the house. And Cinderella is not used to doing work. She's a little, well, spoiled you-know-what. Spoiled rich girl? Yeah, spoiled rich girl. And, oh, woe is me. And the only reason why she can't go to the prince's ball is because she didn't do her chores like she was supposed to. And now you, the player characters, are her fairy godparents. What you gonna do, kids? <laughs> so how wily is this uh, version of Cinderella? Huh. Oh, huh. she, Is she going to be playing the poor little me r- routine on the player characters? Amber, can you can you give us a little bit of, of rarity whining for a second? But I thought you wanted whining. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's probably expert at whining and conniving and trying to get out of things, and I don't want to scrub the, the ashes out again. Well, you have to, dear, because you don't know how to cook. Your, your sisters will be busy cooking. Well, I don't want to clean the, the fireplace again. Why, why, why? I don't want to make the beds. I don't, you know, nah. I don't know. She would come off as some whiny thing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe when she's, her chores are done, she's outside of the, house, of the home. She's a different person. She's still putting on airs. And she's spreading stories about how she's being mistreated. Right. Well, I think the whole thing about her being mistreated would definitely be part of her character and outlook, even if she wasn't, in fact, being mistreated at all. Yeah. And if she's trying to get the player characters to help her out, then it sounds like she would be used to be to manipulating the, the people, the few servants that there are, or the, her sisters and the people around to try to get them to do her chores. And her mean stepmother is the one who keeps making her do her chores and keeps punishing her because she won't do them. I mean, that makes her more of a manipulator. Yep. Yeah. So perfect match for the prince, probably. You never know. <laughs> Well, if you've been watching Game of Thrones and 
some other movies that are out uh, in this most recent uh, defiance, it seems like uh, manipulating wives is a powerful trope. Nero's mother was one of these people. Uh, he basically made sure that uh, the Nero was was going to be the only one who to inherit the, the the throne, so to speak, of Rome by killing off people. Yeah, the Roman aristocracy around CE zero is a wonderful group of people to use for interpersonal and family assassinations of, of both re- reputation and fact. It goes back to Octavius when he became Caesar Augustus. And his family. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Claudius is a good uh, way of, of getting up on that. So, yeah. Another one of the fairy tales types that I'm familiar with is the clever fairy tale. It goes to what you were talking about, John, about rising your station. This is the opposite of that. This is where someone who is very clever is able to convince other people that he or she is far more than what they originally appear, than what they should be. In The Brave Little Tailor, he's a tailor. Starts off the story, he's just a tailor. And so he gets up one day, he picks up a belt, and he smacks three flies on the wall, kills them dead. And he's so impressed that he gets a belt buckle, and he writes on the belt buckle, killed three in one blow. And starts wearing it. And all of a sudden people see the belt buckle, and they go, three in one blow? Wow, what a powerful fighter this guy must be. And he starts going on his adventures, and he just, everything he does seems to really convince people that he is so much more than he is. He fights giants. He gets giants actually to kill each other. And more things go on. There's a whole series of tales with this brave little tailor. And that's really what he is. He's just brave, and he's perfectly willing to say outrageous things, and somehow they come true. So he's very genre-savvy. And he's playing all the tropes. Well, except he doesn't. He's the originator of them. <laughs> yeah. We had a campaign where we had a, uh, a sort of a fairy world. It was sort of an Alice in Wonderland world, but, but we threw all the fairy tale stuff in there. So there was a Humpty. There was, you know, a giant and stuff. And it was just this place that we our characters would wind up going every once in a while. But it was, it was very much like Grimm's. It was very dark. And it was like a place our characters did not like going very often. I hadn't really noticed it before. Our game master, he's, he's a pretty big reader. He started bringing up all this stuff about Jack. And Jack was this great hero. And this guy, Jack, 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 all the time with Jack. And I hadn't realized how many fairy tales that uh, the character Jack, and it may not be the same character in the fairy tales, but they like using that name a lot. Uh, Jack is a is a big character in fairy tales. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. Actually, in the in the in the comic uh, fables, he's actually yeah, he is all those jacks. Okay. Yeah. So you got uh, you know he's Jack and the Beanstalk. He's Jack be nimble. He's Jack and Jill. To my understanding, Jack was uh, a fairy. He was a trickster. So I think with all of the jacks that I can think of, Jack Frost, Jack be nimble, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. I think they all were sort of based off oh, okay. of this original trickster oh, okay. and were given his namesake. Because he he does nothing but cause mischief. Yeah, there's actually a series of novels by uh, Jasper Fords. Basically, the fairy tale division. It's a, it's a police force in England, and they basically, it's a small town where all the fairy tales have been put. 
and they basically solve mysteries like you know who killed Humpty Dumpty <laughs> uh, and things. Yeah, it's a great series, and the the protagonist his name is Jack. So one of the things that I thought would come up by now, but hasn't, and I haven't watched the show, so I haven't really talked about it. I figured you guys would bring it up. Has anyone watched the? There's a TV series, uh, uh, Grim. Grim. I watched five minutes of it and said, "Oh my goodness, I've seen the show before," and turned it off. Okay. I have watched some of it, but I haven't watched more than about six or seven episodes. Okay. So is it is it bad? Is it a bad show? Is it? I was kind of turned off because I thought the best character on the entire show, which was the aunt, they, they basically sidelined and killed her off like within the first couple episodes because they wanted the star to be the, the, the guy. He wasn't as good as her. I lost interest at that point. All right, so let's take us back to, to a Bureau 13 type adventure. Is that concept good for Bureau 13? Because it seemed like it would be. It seemed like it would be a really cool concept for Bureau 13. We say all stories are true, so yeah, there's quite possible out there's uh, Jack. He's still around, doing, getting in trouble, doing things. Well, I'm thinking, look, you know, his ability was to see these these fairies with glamour, right? He was able to see them as they truly were because they were glamouring everybody else into seeing them as being normal. So I, I didn't play Bureau 13 a whole lot. I mean, I remember we played it a little bit. But we were more of a fringeworthy group. Is there an ability in Bureau 13 that you can do that, that you can see through uh, Glamour? There isn't uh, other than just like a magic seeing type thing. Glamour is basically just a special fairy brand of illusions. It's all just superficial. Scratch the surface and you can see what's really underneath it. In D&D, it's like the true seeing spell. But, but Bruce, you were saying, is, uh, is there a glamour sight, a true sight or something like that in, in Bureau 13? Or is that something you could make up easily? Is it like a feat you could put in? Certainly the, Kry- Certainly the Kirillian glasses that was so commonly used in the Nick Pallotta novels could be used as a means of defeating that kind of thing. There was the ability to have magic and psionics and aura readings and things like that in the game. So even a, a, a Krillian detector, of course, could detect whether somebody has a supernatural aura about them and therefore would kind of negate the need to, to know that something was supernatural. His ability was actually to recognize what they were. Right. When they were hiding under the glamour. So that would be more like a skill. Well, yeah, but it's also an ability. And that isn't part of the, the, the Bureau 13 game as it has been shown before as a common thing. We had some plans to introduce that in the competing supernatural agency, the Shadow Works, where they took a drug for the sole purpose of hooking themselves partially into the dream time, much as the Australians perceive it, so that they would actually see the creatures as they truly were and therefore be able to attack them with uh, normal weaponry, even if they were uh, only attackable by magic otherwise. So, But that, that was something that was never actually realized as yet in any of the dishes we brought out. But Trav is working desperately on that at the moment. Really, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're working desperately on the Fringeworthy Savage Worlds version because that definitely needs to get out first. Yeah. Hey, I'm playtesting all of those plot points at Gen Con, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Excellent. Okay. Getting back to Jack, he's a good example of a clever hero. 
in fairy tales. And he appears in a lot of different stories by the name. And a lot of times he's lazy and foolish, as in Jack and the Beanstalk. But he's clever. And he's not necessarily moral either, because you know, he gets up there into the, the castle in the sky with the giant, and he steals from the giant. Right. Jack is not really a good guy. No, he's, he's an opportunist. And he's definitely trying to take advantage of things. He's a poor boy, you know, from, from a poor family. Jack is inherently selfish. That's what people who are starving do. They get very selfish. And he murders that poor giant. Yes, well, <laughs> the, the giant, of course, does nothing to engage our sympathy by look, looking for Jack to grind his bones to making his bread. No, no, the giant never comes down and steals stuff from people. <laughs> That giant worked really hard to grow his own food and mind his own business. And Jack had to come up and steal all his stuff. With his magic beans. He certainly knew who Englishmen were because he had a whole thing about that. Right. So I don't know. I guess he must come down every so often. Just real quick, I want to touch on this because it was it was an interesting take on things. And I actually like the movie. I, mean, I have a kid now, so I never used to watch kid movies at all. But Puss in Boots was... A really neat twist on the whole like um, uh, fairy tale thing. It, it's all fairy tale. You're talking the one in the Shrek verse. Yes, yes, in the Shrek verse, the the Puss in Boots story, uh, and the whole Shrek verse actually is is a neat, interesting twist on the whole fairy tale thing, where Humpty is is actually a, a con man, and uh, he's chasing after the treasure, this giant with the with the eggs, and they got the magic beans and stuff. But that, that's the kind of thing you could throw into your adventure. I mean. Maybe, you know, you're playing Bureau 13 and there's something you're looking for and for some reason this – maybe some kind of sky castle or something, it, it keeps coming up. And you're like, what, what the heck is this? And you do research and you find out, you know, the key to this is the beans and you're like, what are you talking about, the beans? And you might even have to plant magic beans and grow a beanstalk and climb it. Or, or it doesn't even have to be that. I mean, it depends on how, you know, where you want to set your game. Because you'd be playing Bureau 13 in, in a cyberpunk-type campaign. And maybe the beanstalk is actually uh, the space elevator. Yeah, an actual beanstalk, yeah. <laughs> right. They, they actually, they call it a beanstalk. So, you know, you, you could translate that whole thing into... Uh, you know, the, the beans, instead of having beans, it's a, it's a maybe the, the space elevator goes up to a rest very restricted area and the beans are actually uh, a card that will let you have access to go up there. Maybe the giant is a corporate giant. Maybe the golden egg is a program that will free people. You know, there's all kinds of um, twists you could do on that depending on how you want to do it. Oh, I like that idea. Oh, very cool idea, Alex. Help Jack be an AI. Peter the Thought Generator. Ooh, I like that. See, that's, that's what I do. Right, Paul? That's what I do, Paul, right? Yep. All yep. ideas come from me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This Blix is full of it, yes. Well, yes, I am full of it. Full of it is the one thing I am. <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. La, la, la.
Yo, brothers, this was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.